0: We're gonna. Uh, I don't. I'm not gonna have you turn your scriptures because we're really. It's terrible, but we're not really gonna be in the scriptures tonight. We're, uh, we're gonna finish up as a kind of an introduction into the study that we're doing. We started last week on being being Baptist and what does that mean? What does it look like? And so I'm gonna I'm gonna complete the introduction, giving us an overview of what we're gonna look at over the next several weeks as we look at this. What is a you know what is a Baptist? What does it mean to be a Baptist? What do what do I uh, what do I what do I believe? What, why do I believe it? What's our history? All that kind of stuff. So we, we want to we do that. I'm going to come down here because sometimes I just feel like I'm a long way from y'all up there. So I'm going to move down here tonight. Um, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll pick up where we left off last week. So here's, here's, the, here's, here's where we're going to pick up with. There is a loss of Baptist identity nationwide. You're going to understand what, I'm, what I mean by this. Uh, it's clear to even the average observer that there is a growing segment of Baptists today that seek to minimize doctrinal issues and a distinct Baptist heritage, often in the interest of attracting a wider audience. How many of you have heard that? You've heard that. So we change... There are those who change the name of their church or they start a church and they don't start it with the Baptist name. And the idea is... Well, we, we, don't want to, we don't want to offend or you know, we don't want someone to not come because it's a Baptist. I'm getting ahead, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop and I'll come back to that thought. But an informal study, and you could do this. I mean, you can go online and just start looking at some Baptist churches. But an informal survey of several dozen prominent Baptist church websites reveals that many of them make no reference to a distinct Baptist heritage regarding the history or polity or operation or doctrine of their congregation. A lot of churches, you know, when, if, if I'm traveling, if I'm in an area that I don't know, I'm going to go online and look for a church. You know, I'm not going to just show up at some church. I want to know where I'm going. And so I'll go to their website. Well, I'm going to tell you, if they won't put their doctrinal statements on there, and there's a lot of churches that you can't figure out, you know, if it's, I always look for Baptist. I'll look for Baptist in the name. I do. But then I'm going to go to their statements. I want to see what they believe. If they're not going to put their statements online, about what they believe is a church, I'm not going. I'm not going. I won't be there. So there's, But there's a lot of that. There's more and more of that. Um, also, many Baptist churches today are no longer using the term Baptist in their name. So there are churches that have existed for a long, long time. I won't name names, but y'all know, y'all know churches, e- even locally, that have, have gone away from the Baptist name. I will mention one in, in Orange City. There was First Baptist uh, Orange City, changed its name to The Journey. And, But, you know, people have been going there a long time So say, we go to The Journey, you know, First Baptist Orange City. And they go, well, we go to First Baptist Orange City. I mean, you know, The Journey. So they don't really have one name. They have two names. But um, the fact is they've changed. They, they've gone away from that name. And many of, the largest, uh, many of the largest Baptist congregations in America, along with an untold number of smaller and mid-sized Baptist churches, have exchanged their former Baptist name for these, just these generic uh, religious identifiers, you know, the cross or the gathering or whatever. They, you know, the, the church, um, <laughs> be careful what I say online, the church at Hampton or whatever, you know, so there's an area and they just call it the church at that. I, I, I'm not a fan of that. Um, another example, the vast majority of all new Southern Baptist Convention church plants across the U.S. in recent years have mostly avoided the label Baptist in their naming process. So not only are churches that have existed as Baptist churches changing their names away from Baptist, but there's a lot of the new church plants that come up with some creative great name and they put that out there. And there again, if you can go to their website and figure out what they are, who they are, they're affiliated Southern Baptist or independent Baptist or, or, or whatever, and they put their doctrinal statements on there and they tell how they're governed that that's that's fine they're they're not hiding that but that's not generally the case when they take that off they don't they don't put a lot of things out there that that make them that people would easily be able to figure out that they are a baptist church there are a lot of churches you see with a generic name that are southern baptist churches and yet you you got to hunt and hunt and hunt to figure out what they really are i want to know what a church is anybody else I mean, I want to know. I want to know what they are because people say, "Well, why do we have different denominations? We shouldn't have them." I say, Absolutely, we should have them. There's a reason we have different denominations because people believe different things, and they break off this way, and they break off that way, and they begin to look at, they begin to, to focus on different things. That's why we have these different denominations. I want to know what the church I'm going to go and attend and visit or whatever I want to know what they believe. Um, this phenomenon may have well reasoned logic, yet it is nonetheless an indicator that at least some churches, which are in, in, in virtually all aspects Baptist in doctrine and polity, have purposefully distanced themselves from an overt association with the Baptist brand. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think of this, and, and there are people that would hear this and get mad at me, but I think it's dishonest, and I think it's disingenuous. And I think it's a little bit deceitful because you are a Baptist, but you don't want people to know you're Baptist. You want them to come in and then just later on after you've got your hooks in them and they've decided, you know, you people aren't so bad, you're okay. You're Baptist? You know, I I just, that's my personal take on it. So maybe I'm a hardline Baptist. Maybe I'm just old school Baptist, but I believe in telling what you are. And who you are? I just believe in being honest about that, and and I, I certainly wouldn't want people to not come to my church because we're Baptist. But I'm not going to lie to them from the start, and and we're just the church in Geneva. What do we change our name to? That we're the church in Geneva. Well, what are we? We're Baptist church. I, I think it. I think it's. I think we should tell that. Um. There was an open letter that a Kentucky Baptist pastor wrote in the fall of 2015. His name was Ben Stratton. He was pastor of Farmington Baptist Church in Farmington, Kentucky, and and he was at that time the president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention pastor's conference, and he addressed this issue. He wrote this. He said, "...we, we, Southern Baptists in parentheses, we have overlooked the second half of the Great Commission and failed to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you," Matthew twenty-eight twenty. "...this has caused many in the current generation to forget our doctrinal heritage. Our Baptist identity is in danger of being lost." Folks, if we don't teach people, we don't teach the younger people why we believe what we believe and what do we believe is Baptist, what makes us a distinct, what is it that's distinct? And it is distinct. And we're going to learn that. That's what we're looking at. Because I want you, here, here's what I believe. If I did a survey, I mentioned this last week, but if I did a survey in here on a Sunday morning, 150 people, I promise you most of us don't really understand where we came from as Baptist, And we don't really understand the distinctives that make us Baptist. What is it that it makes us Baptist? So we want to understand that. We're Baptist. Why are you Baptist? We may go through this and you go, Y'all believe that? Oh, I got to leave. That's not what I believe. I don't believe that. So I'm not Baptist. So maybe you are maybe you, going to go, Oh, wow, I never understood. But that is. That's why I'm Baptist. That is. I believe that. The reality is that 20, that 20, that, uh, 21st century believers, Baptist as well as professing Christians from other faith denominations, need to understand the vital and distinguishing beliefs that their spiritual ancestors have handed down to them over the centuries, often at the cost of their very lives. You know, there's a, there's a fight that has gone on in, in our Baptist churches. You know, we had, a, we had a conservative resurgence back in the, I think in the late 90s, we had another one, or in the late 70s, we had another one in the 90s, and there's a constant ebb and flow, a constant swing from liberal to conservative. Liberal, to conservative. The liberals are always going to try to hijack what, what God is, is doing. And they're always going to try to hijack and take it take it liberal, take it away from the Word of God. And, and, and we need to understand what we believe and, and drive the nail down, drive the stake down, so we don't back off of those things. Amen? So we need to understand those things. Al Mohler, how many of you are familiar with that name? Al Mohler was... Uh, he's president of the Southern Baptist um, Seminary in Louisville. He wrote, he wrote this. He said, The urgency of this task, i.e. teaching doctrine and history, cannot be ignored. He said, In this generation, Baptists will either recover our denominational heritage and rebuild our doctrinal foundations, or in the next generation, there will be no authentic Baptist witness. It's important we understand this. So in this course of study, Being Baptist, we will seek to cover the subject from a broad perspective. This series of lessons is intended to give listeners a basic understanding of what Baptists believe why they believe those things, plus a a brief historical sketch of those who have held to these basic beliefs throughout history. So our goal, our overall goal in this series is twofold. Number one is to help you understand why you are Baptist yourself. You're Baptist. If you've joined the church or if you're thinking about joining the church, we want you to understand why, why who we are and why you are Baptist if you're here. And then we want to help you to articulate to others why you're Baptist. You may meet somebody in the community, they find out you go to the Baptist church and they go, Oh, and them, them folks over there are crazy. You know they believe this and that. No, you, know, no, 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 no. They don't believe that. that. That's not what they believe at all. This is what this is what it means to be a Baptist. It means we believe the Bible is the sole authority in our lives as believers. Well, I believe that. And you start naming off some things that we believe as Baptists that make us distinct. That that not just dis, there are others that believe those things. But there are things that make us distinctly Baptist. And they go, well, yeah, okay, I get that. So we, want, we, can, we can help others out there understand that we're, we don't have tails growing out or third arm out our back or horns or any of those things that some people think about Baptist. Now, do you think people have strange views about Baptist? I think so. And because they've heard somebody say something. Baptists have always had a, a it's strange the reputation that we get. But here's what's weird: is when Baptists don't even understand what Baptists believe, and, and this group of Baptists don't understand what this group of Baptists believe. Example: sitting in a sitting in a pastors' a pastors' breakfast, a couple months ago, two or three months ago now, I think I told Gina about this. And there's a there's a church, there's a one of the churches in our association that that's needing to find a property, and uh, they were they've been trying to merge with other churches or find a place they can meet or whatever. And so they're telling me, uh, I guess one of the guys asked him, so why have you considered that new church plant over there about talking to them about merging, talking about grace? We know the folks over there. It's an independent Baptist church. This is a Southern Baptist church. That's talking about. It. He said, oh, no, we couldn't meet with them. There would be huge doctrinal differences. I had to bite my tongue. You know, I really did. I had to bite my tongue not to come unglued. Because, folks, let me tell you something. Southern Baptist in here. Died in the Wool Southern Baptist, your doctrinal beliefs aren't any different than the Independent Baptist. And I and i and I've witnessed to my independent Baptist friends who think the Southern Baptist, y'all have all lost your minds. Y'all have lost your minds. You're a bunch of liberals. Because your music's different or you don't do King James only or whatever. No, no, no. Our doctrinal beliefs are the same. Some of our practices are different. But this guy was like, oh, we wouldn't be in agreement doctrinally. And yet he was trying to merge with a church that was out of Pittsburgh that was a cult. I mean, I knew the group. They were cultish. And he was like, well, we could probably fellowship with them. I'm like, whoa, man, this is is a problem. So it's important we understand, you know, what does it mean to be a Baptist and what do we believe, okay? So two major divisions of study that we're going to look at. First session that we're going to get through is the, the Baptist doctrinal hallmarks. So, what makes Baptist unique? Why, why are we, why is Baptist, are we not Methodist? Why are we not Presbyterian? Why are we not Pentecostal? What is it that makes Baptist unique and different? What makes a person a Baptist? The name itself literally means one who baptizes or immerses, uh, such as John the Baptist. But there's much more to being a Baptist than just the mode of baptism that we employ, okay? So, it, 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 we can still be Baptist because of our distinctives if it wasn't baptism by immersion. Now, that's what we believe. That's a distinctive. We believe it's by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. It's not in Jesus' name. It's not a, it's, Jesus gave us the prescription there of, of how to do that. We know it's by immersion, so that's part of what we do, but that's not the only part of it. So why do Baptists differ from other Christian, uh, Christian churches and traditions? What is the basis of being Baptist? What are the origins and common beliefs of Baptists through the centuries? These questions and others are going to be addressed, addressed in this part of it, the first part that we're going to study. So we'll present the major doctrinal distinctives that make Baptists who and what they are. We'll also attempt to understand who and why, or I'm sorry, how and why we differ from other groups of Christians on several doctrinal, uh, biblical doctrines. Now, there are many doctrines that we have in common with other Christian traditions. Okay, so if you, if you really, if you, if you looked at, Probably most of the... If you took most of the churches here in Geneva, if you look at the basic doctrinal statements, we're going to be very much in line with all of them. It, but, but there are, there's places that we, we get off, and that's what we want to understand is what do we believe. So it's the Bible itself that reveals what is important and essential to the Christian faith. That's why, um, that's why we're not caught up in purgatory, Right? I'm still looking for somebody to show me that in, in, in our scriptures. You know, where, where is that in the Bible? Because we're going to live by the Bible. The Bible is our authority. That's what we, 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 we work as hard as we can to know what the scriptures say, what they teach us, and then to live according to the scriptures. Okay? Miss um, Susan, do you remember any of the conversations? You and I have had several conversations about some things. If you think of any, raise your hand. I was trying to think of something because you and I've had several things and it was like, well, we don't do that because it's not scriptural. Do you remember one of them? Formal liturgy, right? The liturgy, the the formality of a service, we do this. Yeah. Okay. We always had the same format. We always said the same verses or, you know, uh, we always sang the doxology. We always said the Lord's Prayer. And I I asked you, well, why, why isn't that happening? Okay. And you told me you didn't want it to be repetition. Right. We're not caught up in the, in the, is that how you say the word, liturgy? Is that the right word? How do you say it? Liturgy? Liturgy. liturgy. But it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a way of worshiping. It's a, it's a formal type of worship. But, you know, with the Catholics, it's reciting the Hail Mary or whatever and going through the beads. And it's those things where it's repetition, it's brainless. You know, you just start doing something out of repetition Um, it's, it's, uh, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Bow our heads. We shall be fed. Give us Lord our daily bread. Amen. If that's, if that's, if that's what you do at dinner, um, I'm sorry, you shouldn't do that because you're just reciting something you've memorized. You're not, prayer is talking to God and talking from your heart. And so we, we don't do those things. I thought of another one. I think we talked about, um, Lent. You asked about Lent. Why don't we do Lent? Why don't we do the things in Lent? Well, if a, if a Christian wants to, I don't have a problem with that, but show me in Scripture where we're supposed to do that. The things we do as a church, we do because we find them in Scripture. And we find those things there. So those other things, there are things that you could do that are that are that may not be a bad thing to, to if they raise your awareness and make you think about the Lord more in, in a certain way. But we're not going to do it. I'm not going to stand up here and, and I don't know what they do I'm going to stick my finger thumb in ashes and stick them on your head and go, all right forty days now go fast or what you know we' scriptures don't tell us to do that so we're not, we're not going to live we're not going to do that okay so there's there's the scriptures tell us how to live our lives okay so though various theologians of different Christian traditions may have their own list, the following are widely agreed upon. Among evangelical Christians, to the essential beliefs that define biblical Christianity. Okay, so here's some things: the inspiration and authority of the Bible. That's a big one, because you find more and more now uh, denominations that they don't believe they don't believe the the Scriptures inerrant. They some don't believe that it was inspired. They think that God might have used people just to put together a collection of stories. Have you read it? Uh, There's no way that just, you know, people wrote stories. Let's take, we'll take, I'll take any three of you. I'll take every person in this room. You write a short story one page long, and we'll pick any three out of that, and there's no way they're going to tie together. And yet we have all these writings in our scripture over thousands of years, 40 different writers, all these different countries, different languages, And there's a thread that runs right through it seamlessly. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture and in the inerrancy. We believe, so the inspiration and authority of the Bible, we believe in monotheism, we believe in the Holy Trinity. And you go, well, wait, is that different? No, it's not different. We believe in one God, but the three are one. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three are one. That's the Trinity. Um, The deity of Christ. Look, if you don't believe in the deity of Christ, don't tell me you're a Christian. You know what I'm talking about deity. He is God in flesh. Uh, if he wasn't born of a virgin, he's not God, and we're lost and going to hell and hopelessly going to hell. If he wasn't sinless, if he didn't rise from the dead, these things that he proved with his resurrection that he is God. If he's not God, we're lost. Salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and not by works. The bodily resurrection of Christ, the literal second coming of Christ, a literal heaven and hell. There are those who don't don't believe that anymore. Uh, They don't want to talk about hell. It's offensive. Well, how offensive do you think it's going to be when you arrive? Uh, We need to talk about it. The necessity of proclaiming the gospel message. We're all commanded to do that. As believers, we're commanded to share the gospel. So those are, those are things that are fundamental. Evangelical Christians would agree upon those being essential beliefs, foundational beliefs for biblical Christianity. These are the key essentials that a person must understand and believe if they, would be, if they would be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Though some of these essentials may be interpreted in slightly different ways, most true Christian traditions hold to these basic doctrines. Thus, on the essentials on the, of faith, Baptists would agree with the majority of other Christian groups. Now you, so I believe we could probably, I believe we could take the doctrinal statements of the Methodist Church as a, as a whole. And we could look at them and go, all right, we, we would agree in that. But you get into the, the practice and some of the dig into what they really mean by this or how do now they, they interpret this. Interpretation comes into that a lot, okay? Um, different doctrines that mark Baptists. So on the other hand, there are some the doctrines and practices that mark Baptists as a unique faith tradition. It's a unique faith unique thing so in other words there are a few biblically rooted teachings that baptist and only baptist and other baptistic christians have held to preached and practiced down through the centuries this does not mean that baptist and other baptistic groups are the only ones who believe any of these doctrines and practices only that Baptists have largely held to most of these as a package deal. So as we go through these, what you're going to see is these are things that we believe, and, and those churches all through history have believed these things and held to these things, and that's what we hold to today. Baptists are a distinctive people who hold to this set of doctrines, which have by and large become their identifying features. Moreover, Baptist theologians, pastors, and scholars may hold to uh, or, uh, or they may hold, add to, or subtract from the list of Baptist distinctives that we em- emphasize as distinctively Baptist. You got to remember this. That so, uh, with Baptist churches, one of the distinctions is, is there's no hierarchy. Okay, we don't have, you know, y'all know y'all know Glenn Rogers. Glenn Rogers is our associational missionary or our director, D O M. They call him. They've changed the name on his position all the time and uh, D-O-M, Director of Missions. So he's in our association. So the 75 churches in our association that, that in theory would give some money to support the local association. And Glenn is our missionary, and he's here to help. And this church values Glenn Rogers. We value him. He's, he's been huge in helping this church. He's been a great friend to me. Um, but Glenn is not our boss. So, when we talk about the associational level, some would look at that and go, oh, okay, so Glenn is at the associational level, so he's over us. And then there's a, for above that, there's a catalyst who works in all these different associations up and down like the East Coast from Jacksonville all the way to Miami. And so there's a catalyst over that. So that would be the next higher up. And then that guy answers to Tommy Green at the Florida Baptist Convention. So that's higher up. There are those who look at that. And if you follow some of the court cases that have been brought up, some of the decisions that have been made have been based on judges who don't understand how Baptists are are are. are Put together how church, the Baptist churches work. And because there is no hierarchy. Glenn doesn't come in here, tell us what programs to run. He doesn't come in here and tell y'all, well, this is how you, what pastor you need to hire, or well, we're just going to send you this guy and he's going to be your pastor. It doesn't work that way. We're an autonomous church. I teach in our, in our class when you're joining. Those that have been through the class know this. Uh, I've had people ask me, why aren't we just a, an independent Baptist church? Well, we are an independent Baptist church. We're, we're, we are a self supporting hopefully self-replicating at some point we are a self-sustaining church we're autonomous we don't have anybody overseeing us the lord is our boss okay he's our boss and our elders work together as a council under his authority and and so there's an authority structure but it doesn't go outside of the church that's the authority there and every Southern Baptist church functions that way. So they're all autonomous churches that have voluntarily networked together in the association. That's the big difference, okay? That's, but so Methodists, that pastor, they would move that pastor, and they'll tell them they'll send them a pastor. They'll just send the guy over there, and he'll, or lady now, uh, will go over and be their, their pastor. We don't do that. Uh, So there's no hierarchy. So there's, no, there's nobody that's up there going, okay, now this is exactly what y'all believe. Every one of you. So we as a church, we, we, we try to hold to the scriptures. We hold to the the, the, the doctrinal statements from the Southern Baptists. That's our doctrinal, doctrinal statements as a church. We may highlight something in there more than we would something else, but we believe what's in, that, in those statements. We, that's what we believe as a church. But there's other churches in our association that may... May believe something a little different. There are Southern Baptist churches. You got Rick Warren's church out in California, largest former Southern Baptist church in the country, um, who started baptizing, uh, baptizing, started ordaining women, ordaining, ordaining women as pastors. We just talked about that. We're not, we're not going that way, right? If I suggest ordaining, Kristen, we're revolting your ordination. So. Apparently one Sunday, one Sunday, one week when I was gone, or, Kristen got ordained. No, it's just a joke in the office. Aaron, you got to know Aaron is a jokester. So he always talks about he ordained uh, Kristen one week when I was gone. Um, Pastor Kristen. See, I'll tell her next time you see her. Say, hey, Pastor Kristen, watch her. And we don't have anybody telling us we, we, uh, the Bible is our authority. Yet we believe these particular Baptist distinctives give, uh, given here represent a consensus of the majority of Baptist scholars, past and present. So that's what we're going to look at. It should be noted here that not all Baptists would necessarily emphasize all of the distinctive characteristics that we'll highlight in this course. Um, As autonomous congregations, each Baptist or Baptistic church decides which beliefs it will emphasize. It's also important to note that due to their independent nature and the lack of a central governing body, Baptists also have a wide range of doctrinal issues on which they strongly disagree. Yeah, that makes sense, right? We're Baptists, so there's going to be disagreement. If it, we would not, it, it, when Baptists don't don't when they agree on everything, they they're not Baptists anymore. Okay, so <laughs> we gotta change our name. These would include such matters as eschatology, so that's the interpretation of end times biblical prophecy. There's different interpretations on that mm-hmm. in, in, within the Baptist. Calvinism versus Arminianism. Calvinism, which is an emphasis on divine sovereignty and salvation, versus Arminianism, which is an emphasis on human responsibility and salvation. So there would be there would be there's 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 some that would but would be much more in the Arminian camp. Some that are in the Calvinistic camp, and 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 so there's there's disagreement in churches and that they're speaking in tongues. Even disagreement within Baptist churches on this on speaking in tongues, miracles, and other sign gifts. Um, how to interpret the Bible. There would, be, there would be differences in that. How to conduct missionary activity. Well, let's take the Independent Baptist first, Southern Baptist. What would they do different? Independent Baptists uh, are going to support, they, they support individuals more, or organizations and individuals, and, and so they would go around and raise support from a bunch of churches. Southern Baptists, we send our money up to the Florida Baptist Convention. 51% of everything they gather goes to the Southern Baptist Convention. That money is then divided up between the seminaries, And the IMB, the International Mission Board, the International Mission Board then says, well, we want to plant churches around the world. So we have a couple, they come, they want to be missionaries. We interview them, we hire them, we give them a salary, we send them to the field. So the big difference is there's some pluses and minuses to that. One of the pluses is, man, you can send them out and go to work. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest downfalls in that is they don't build a network of people praying for them. Jeannie Best, do you, do you, did you appreciate those churches that you had relationship with? Now, Todd, y'all probably built some relationships with individual churches as well, right? But primarily, you had a, you had a job, right? You were, you were hired, and the, the International Mission Board paid you. But what you would have missed out on, in some ways, is what she benefited from was having a huge network. Let's just say she had 50 churches. How many churches do you have supporting you at one time? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's typically that's how you would you would get it more than because new tribes are strange because the independent Baptists don't tend to support them as much. No, I'm not saying they're strange. I'm just saying the way it fits in. See, y'all are going. He's talking stuff I don't even understand. I've done all these th- different things. So I was a I was an I was FCA. So I was I wasn't Southern Baptist. I wasn't. I was an independent Baptist. I couldn't get in with nobody. Nobody wanted to give me money. Majority of my support came from individuals. Individuals and businesses who saw what I did and and valued it. We're working with the kids. When I did my construction mission years ago, same thing. Oh, I'm not church planting, so the independent Baptists didn't want to talk to me. Southern Baptists wouldn't even open the door for me. I mean, they wouldn't return my phone call because I wasn't Southern Baptist at that time. Because of what I was doing. You know, you're not a part of the IMB or the North American Mission Board. Eh, We're not... So it's hard. But most of those independent Baptist guys, they may have 100 people supporting them. They may have 100 churches that they've networked with that when they have a need, they can send a letter out to that church and say, hey, we, 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 need, we have this need. Can you support? That's, a, that's lacking. That's lacking. So you see, there's, there's great benefit to, they're not spending four, four, three, four, five years out raising support. They can go to work, but they're missing out on those. See, but it's philosophy. We believe the same thing about getting the gospel out, but it's the philosophy of doing ministry. Does that make sense? Okay. I, didn't, I shouldn't have got bogged down in all that, but I want to help you understand some of that. Um, missionary activity. Who may participate in local church Lord's Supper services? So communion. So How many of you have heard the phrase uh, open communion or closed communion? You know what that means? A lot of you understand that. So, open communion, we exercise open communion. And what we say is if you profess to be a Christian, you have a testimony, and we're not going to come around and look to see if you've got a brand or anything. That's up to you. You say you're a believer. Then when we have communion, we welcome, you're welcome to take part in that. But there are some churches who would say, no, no, unless you're a member of our church, if you're not a member of our church, you can't take communion with us. So it becomes a closed, that's closed communion. And it's 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 that that group. So we're open in, in that, open communion. If you're a believer, or you're a professing believer, you're welcome to take part in communion. Speaking of, I'm pretty certain I'll send an email out, but I think we're gonna have, we're gonna observe the Lord's Supper Sunday. And uh, we'll take a, uh, we'll receive a benevolence offering, love offering after the service. So, um, like I said, I'll send an email out, but be prepared if you want to give to that, uh, just to give as the guys, as you go out the door, the guys will be there with the offering plates to receive that benevolence offering. Um, yes? There was a new tab on the app, too, that has benevolence, so if they forget, they can... Okay. All right, they can give to benevolence through the the app. All right, and many are going. We have an app, (laughs) and 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 it's not easy. So if you, but if you want to set that up, we'd be glad to help you with that. I do that. that, That's the one thing I do miss about writing the check is, it. We've set it up automatic. It happens every week, but I miss writing that check and holding that check. I miss that part, physical. May have to go back to that. Oh, and the ordination of women as deacons and pastors. That's just a few, and we'll talk about other things. So despite the range of differences on some issues, historically most Baptists in general holding uh, in general hold to the distinctives we're going to study, even though their actual interpretation of them may vary. So we're going to use the acrostic, this acrostic of Baptists, B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S. Okay, so... You wrote that down, acrostic. It just means you're going to take the first letter and we're going to use this as an acrostic through all throughout this, and this is kind of the order we're going to study in. But the B is for biblical authority. And we're also looking at the, Lord's, the the Lordship of Christ. So that'll be the first one. And you don't have to write these down. I'll put them in, in uh, I'll put them in notes for you beginning next week. A is the, for the autonomy of the local church. We already talked a little bit about that. P is for the uh, priesthood of believers. We believe every every believer is a priest. We get to approach the Lord. We get to approach His throne. We don't have to go through someone else. Uh, T, two ordinances, baptism and communion. I, individual soul liberty. S, saved church membership. Uh, People say, man, well, it's harder to join the church than it is to get saved. Well, not really. If you get saved, it's really easy to join the church. It's not hard at all. But you, you you have to be a believer in order to join the church. You have to have a clear testimony of salvation. Uh, T, two offices, pastors and deacons, pastors being elders, deac- uh, pastors, uh, elders, bishops, you know, overseers, that, that, that interchangeable title, and deacons, those are two offices. And I would even, no, I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, I am going to get into it. No, I'm not. Everybody wants to know now. No, because I have some weird beliefs about deacons. You know, I, I, the, the elders have read my read my paper. I wrote a paper in, in my seminary work about it, and I have some different beliefs about deacons. And I don't I don't personally believe it's an office. I don't believe it's an office that that you have to that has to be filled. Um, I'm not necessarily. You know, don't don't run me out. I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily... And I'm not... Listen, I'm not saying we should do anything different. We've set it up as a church this way. Churches forever have done what we're doing with our deacons. We have titles. I like it. We're observing men who are... Servant. their servants. But the scriptures are pretty clear. You know, when you use the term deacon, it is a transliteration for the word diakonos. And so in places it's, it's tra- translated, in some places it's transliterated. and And so it's... When you start talking about the requirements of a deacon, it's kind of like our requirements to work in children's ministry, is, is my belief. It's, it's, uh, so if you want to work in children's ministry, we have requirements. You have to be a member. You have to be in good standing. You have to be uh, faithful in attendance. You have to be here at least six months because we have to get to know you. You have to do a background check. You fill out an application. You got to sign the paperwork it says, I've read through this. I agree with this. I I understand the rules. I'll obey those rules. Why do we do that? Because we want to protect our children. And we want to protect our servants. We don't want somebody in a situation where they're put in a bad position. So we do that so we make sure we got qualified people serving with our children, right? I I, I think as as I've studied out deacons, I think deacons, it is. It's servant. It's servants. And so when you have ministries in the church, there has to be a way... And I think that's what what Paul's saying was: Look, when you need people to serve, here's the requirements for them to serve in church. Y'all didn't want to hear that. So, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying we should do away with deacons or anything. I just have a little different take, having studied that more. And there's some things that I might could be convinced it's otherwise. But you know, at one time in history, deacons was the, the deacons were guys that they wanted to be a deacon so they could go up in ministry. It was a part of the hierarchy, part of climbing the ladder. And so there's, there's been different views for a long time. People were fighting for those positions at times. It wasn't really a, a, a servant role. And, and you see, uh, who was it? I'm going to draw a blank. Who was it in the New Testament? She's called, she's called a servant, a minister or something. But the word is it's the same word, as diakonos. Servant, she was a servant. Todd, you remember who I'm talking about? You know who I'm talking about. Just yeah. anybody know the name? No. Right. I'm drawing a blank. So I'm not. I'm not. We're not going to ordain women. That's not in our bylaws. But I, I do have a little different look on on, uh, on on deacons. I think it's more of a servant role. I mean, it's what our deacons are. We have, we recognize that. We say Todd's a servant. He's he's a leader in every area of his. life. Life, we look at this. Dennis is a servant, so we've recognized them and we call them that. And now it's kind of like membership because we know who we can call on. So if I got a need, I can call those one of those eight guys, and I know they're gonna, they're gonna jump in there and help, except for Brent. It's hard to. No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, shouldn't have done that. Wasted five minutes, and I can't get back now. Uh, S, the last S there separation of church and state. So that's going to be the first thing we're going to look at is the distinctives, the Baptist distinctives. And then we're going to look at the second section and we'll get into it. After that will be the Baptist um, distinguished heritage. How do we trace Baptist history? Uh, any, anybody ever studied that? There's there's several different views. and It depends on which camp you kind of get lined up with is, is what do you believe about that. Um, I'm just going to... Just for sake of time, I'm just going to jump and read through these five, just as overview. We'll get deeper into this later on. But so where do, where do Baptists, where do Baptists come from? Where where do we come from? Where where did, you know, we, we understand where the Lutheran church started. That's simple, right? It's really easy to see the Methodists, where they come from. You know, there's, there's. The, Pres- the Presbyterians are pretty easy to track. All of them, but where did the Baptists come from? Where they, they just showed up one day. Boom, there was, then there were some Baptists. So where did, we, where did we come from? And so there's some different beliefs on that. And the first one is this, that it came from the English separat- separatism, which was part of the Protestant Reformation. And some scholars say that Baptist identity is an outgrowth of 17th century English separatism. That is, that Baptist organized in what some called the Radical Reformation. Now, you, you, we know what the Reformation is, right? Luther and and the, his thesis on the door of the Catholic Church and reforming the Catholic Church. But there were those who pushed against that. I, I, mean, I have to admit, I didn't even, as I was putting this together, I never even heard that phrase, the Radical Reformation. But there were those after that who were pushing against what Luther was doing. Because if you, if you studied about Luther, and I wrote a paper on Luther, and the paper I wrote on him was just the missed opportunity. Because we talk about Luther being such a giant of the faith. And Luther did some good things. He did some really good things. But Luther, like, like a, a lot of us, he was just a man. He was a flawed man. He made some mistakes. The Baptist in that time, there were some Anabaptists there that actually supported him. You know what he did when he got kind of in power? He killed Baptists. He had them murdered. He had people killed. So he, he goes and does kind of the same thing that the Catholic Church was doing. He goes over and starts the Lutheran Church, does some of the same things. And you can even track the history when you're talking about the history of these churches. Bonhoeffer, I read a book recently. Have you read that book yet, John? you got to read this. It's fascinating. Bonhoeffer is trying to get the pastors, the Lutheran pastors, predominantly the Lutheran pastors there in Nazi in, the, in Germany when the Nazis were coming into power, Bonhoeffer's doing all he can to get them to stand up against this. And, and when they finally realized we need to stand up against this, it was too late. You know, it's the old saying, one of the guys said, well, they came for the so-and-sos, you know, and, and I didn't do anything because I wasn't one of them. And he came for this and I wasn't, didn't do anything because I wasn't one of them. And then they came for me and there's nobody left to stand up. So it was it was, and that's what happened. But Bonhoeffer said, but the problem was Luther took a very passive approach to dealing with government. It was very much you should submit to authority. It was very much ingrained into the church. We should submit to authority. But when it is anti-God, if, if it's not what God says, should I listen to man or God? Should listen to God, right? Right. Well, they were so ingrained because of Luther's stance on that, very strong stance on that, that even then, they were very passive. They were hesitant to stand against the government. And so, what's that? Yeah, there's, there's well, we got some of that passivism in, in the church in America today. Yeah, well, we shouldn't say anything. Yeah, it, it is. And, and that book, it really deals a lot with that. But Luther, missed a, he missed an opportunity. But there, what you find here with this radical reformation was there's who, who then were like, no, 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 that wasn't right. And now what Luther's doing is not right. So there was a push against all of that. And so they say that the Baptist church kind of came out of that, this English separatism. Okay, that was one of the, the theories. Second one is the, the Anabaptist influence. Another group group of of church historians assert that Baptists trace their origins more or less directly to the Anabaptist movement of the 16th century. So if you study anything about the Anabaptists, it just depends on who you ask. The Anabaptists were good folks. The Anabaptists were crazy. That's what we say about Southern Baptists, right? Or the Independent Baptists or the the Nazarenes over here or the the Church of God down here or the Methodists over there. Uh, Some of them say they're good. Some of them say they've lost their minds. Um, But that was, so you go back to the 16th century, you can find Anabaptist. And some believe that that we trace our heritage back to that. So some almost have it's a Reformation. Some have now, we go back to the Anabaptist. I'm going to skip number three and come back to that. Number four is that there's an unbroken succession of church, of Baptist churches. Now this group, this is the land, this is landmarkism. And if you've ever heard of, there are Baptist churches that are called landmark Baptist churches. They're, They're landmarks. And they believe that, I don't believe this, but they believe that basically they were Baptist churches. When Jesus founded the church, there were Baptist churches, these New Testament churches. They were Baptist. They really were Baptist. And there's been a succession of Baptist churches ever since. All through history, there were Baptist churches. They didn't call them Baptists, but they were, and there's, they would say there are landmark things that they, they believed. And if you didn't believe one of those, you're out. You're not, you're, they weren't a Baptist. Very exclusive group. They're very adamant. That group's very adamant about their belief. That's, if I'm not mistaken, that's the same group of folks. Some of those right there would be closed communion. No, 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 you can't have communion with us. We don't know if you're really a believer or not. We don't know. We don't know. Usually you're not a part of us. Um, then there's convergent view. Fourth view is a convergent view, and proponents of, of this more recent the theory of Baptist origins think of the Baptist tradition as a great river with numerous tributaries flowing into it. Uh, in essence, this position theorizes that there are perhaps strands of historical truth that can be drawn from each of the views of the other views of Baptist beginnings. So they kind of say, "Yeah, there, that 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 kind of there's probably some truth to that, and there's some truth to that, and there's some truth to that, and that's kind of where the Baptists came from." The third one in the list that I skipped, but I'm going to go back to this because this is the one. This study focuses more from this view, and this is probably more where I stand. And it's the spiritual kinship, okay? So there's, or or, or a continuation of biblical teaching. So I'm going to read what it says, and I'll explain how I view this. Other researchers contend that Baptist or Baptistic churches descend from churches that have generally held in various ways New Testament principles, and have always existed in some form since the church was founded by Jesus Christ in the first century. Now the difference in that. And the landmark Baptists is, well, they were Baptists. They just didn't call themselves Baptists. And you, you're really, there's a lineage of those churches. This view of this continuation of biblical teachings, here, here would be my thought. When the early church started and then it becomes later on, the church kind of in Europe becomes, you know, the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church. But those, those apostles went a lot of different places. And, and churches, churches out further east churches down, down south, they wouldn't have necessarily been connected with what was going on there. They took what they knew, they took the scriptures, they took what they had heard, they took the gospel, and they went and they started churches. Paul started churches. I don't believe every church Paul ever started ended up being a Catholic church in, in the day. Does that make sense? There were They were Bible-believing churches. They took the Scriptures, they studied the Scriptures, and they they had a church that we would call in the 1st century, the 2nd century, the 3rd century, the 4th century, we would call them New Testament churches. That's That's what I say we are. Amen? I mean, we're a New Testament church. We try to do, we try to function according to the Scriptures. We're a New Testament church. Now, do we, can we trace back? No, let's see. Okay, you know, that church over there planted us. And, and I, wish I, knew, I wish I knew the history. I mean, I know the history in 1875, um, and I'm not going to be able to call the name, I teach it every time in our class, so I can't call the name. Powell? Powell come down the river, up the river, came up the river in a hand-hewn canoe, planted, I believe he planted First Baptist Oviedo, and Orlando, and here. But he he come down the river with his daughters and, and come down the river and started a church here. And the church started, it was Har- Harney, ba- Harney, Harney Baptist Church, I think, when it started, 1875. So I'd like to know what his heritage was. He started a Baptist church, but it wasn't Southern Baptist Church because were were not no Southern Baptist Churches in 1875, if I'm not mistaken. So what was his, what was he? Where did, what would, what did he, where did he come from? So where did where did the, Whatever the church that he was in, where, who started it? Where did it come from? You know, you wish you could trace back that heritage. Did it come from church planting that way? Well, this church obviously was planted by someone who believed in the New Testament church, and a biblical church, and started a Baptist church. So, you know, I just believe there's been churches forever, through the, from, from the time of Christ till today, who were New Testament churches. And we get to a point where that New Testament church at some point was given the name, you know, you, baptism, "you baptizers, you baptists, whatever it is. They were given the name and then they adopted the name. You know, the others were calling them that and then they finally, it was kind of a, kind of mocked with the name. And they said, okay, yeah, we're Baptist. We'll, we'll embrace that. Yeah, we, we'll stand on that. So that, that's kind of what I, what I believe about that. And that's all i got to say about that. <laughs> all right, I'm already overdue. So uh, any questions or comments for next week, we'll get into the Bible. We're going to look-